You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gone But Never Forgotten, Episode 10. This week, we will take a look at something that is a little less hard-hitting than most of our episodes. This episode is our second episode of Gone Traveling, and actually doesn't include a murder or a missing person, but instead a great mystery. On June 12, 2009, a man boarded a bus at the Ulster bus depot in Londonbury, Ireland, and made a short trip to nearby Sligo, Ireland, arriving at his stop at 6.28 p.m. He would then hail himself a taxi and would take another short trip to the Sligo City Hotel. Sligo is a small county town and coastal seaport in the western province of Connacht with a population of 20,000 people as of 2016. Sligo is known for being a historic, cultural, commercial, industrial, retail, and service center of regional importance in Western Ireland, and it is served by rail, air, and roads. It is known as a tourist destination, and it's believed that at least some of these reasons were why this man chose to come to Sligo. But what happened next? Before we get into all of the ins and outs, as always, please welcome my co-host and wife, Julie, to the show. Hey, Julie. How are you? Hey, Lance. I'm good. Thank you. I'm excited about this episode. Uh, for all our North American friends, happy Labor Day weekend. Hope you all spent it well. All right. Well, let's get down to business then. And without any further ado, let's learn about the man known as Peter Bergman. The man that boarded that bus in Londonbury on June 12, 2009, was thin, dressed all in black, and inconspicuous, really. As noted, when he got off the bus in Sligo, he took a cab. The first hotel that he attempted to check into was full. That is when he pivoted to the Sligo City Hotel on Quay Street. It was, in fact, the peak of tourist season in Sligo, so the fact that finding a hotel room was difficult is not surprising. When the man checked into the hotel, he paid for three days up front and he filled out his information. It should be noted he did pay with cash. The address that he entered was in Stenerson 15, 4472 Vienna, Austria. The name that he filled out under was Peter Bergman. The address matched his Germanic accent, as did the name, but he was never asked for ID, 
And, as we will find out later, that name may in fact have been a pseudonym. One thing that should be noted as we look into this case and follow along with Peter Bergman's footsteps, so to speak, is that there are a lot of closed captioned video cameras in Sligo. So those are what have been mainly used to try and piece together the days that Peter spent in Sligo. The day after Peter checked into the hotel, June 13th, seemed to be mostly insignificant. At 10.49 a.m., Peter made his way to the general post office in Sligo and made a purchase of eight stamps and some airmail stickers. He ran a few errands around town and then he returned to the hotel where he ate and took occasional cigarette breaks, being polite to others that were there, but mostly keeping to himself. However, on June 13th, 14th, and 15th, Peter would leave the Sligo Hotel 13 times. Each time that he left the hotel, he would be seen leaving with a purple plastic bag filled with something. Many hypothesized that it was filled with personal items or personal effects. Each time that he returned to the hotel, though, the bag was not visible, meaning that it had either been emptied or disposed of along his travels. The interesting part of that was that even though the aforementioned CCTV cameras caught him walking many times, they did not ever capture a moment where he was emptying the plastic bag or disposing it of it, and the same plastic bag was seen full each time that he left the hotel. Later, Detective John O'Reilly would say that after analyzing CCTV extensively, quote, not once does it show anywhere where he may have disposed of that property, unquote. On Sunday, June 14th, Peter left the hotel for the town's only taxi cab rank, and when he climbed inside the taxi, he asked the driver to take him to a quiet beach where he could take a swim. The taxi driver would then drive Peter to Ross's Point, a peninsula that was known for its beautiful and breathtaking views, about a 15-minute drive. When Peter got out of the car, he looked around and took in the vast expanse of blue and green on the horizon and seemed happy with Ross's Point. However, the taxi driver was surprised as Peter would then get back into the taxi and ask to be taken back to Sligo, where he again spent a quiet night alone. On June 15th, after requesting a late checkout, Peter checked out of the hotel and returned his room key to reception at the front desk. He then left for the bus station carrying two black bags and that same purple plastic bag. En route to the bus station, Peter stopped in front of a storefront and paused for a long period of time, almost as though he was deep in thought but then continued on his route to the bus station. When he arrived at the bus station, however, one of Peter's black bags could not be seen any longer, as though disposed of on his trip to the bus station. At the station cafe, Peter had a meal of a ham and cheese toasted sandwich and a cappuccino. He was then observed on CCTV removing a piece of folded paper from one of his pockets. He would open the piece of paper, read it, refold it, and then reopen it and read it again. Finally, he would rip up the piece of paper and throw it out in a trash bin. At 2.20 p.m., Peter boarded a bus that was headed for Ross's Point. 
After his arrival at Ross's Point, it has been discovered that Peter was spotted by at least 16 people over the next eight hours. He was not trying to hide himself. In fact, if anything, he stood out. He was described by witnesses as a jovial man who would kindly greet anyone who crossed his path. He stood out because he was formally dressed for someone spending the day at the beach. 11.50 p.m. would be the last eyewitness account of Peter walking along the beach. At 4 p.m., Peter was seen on the beach with a black bag slung over his shoulder. At 5 p.m., he was seen near the yacht club. At 9.10 p.m., Peter was seen by two women carrying something along the beach. At 9.30 p.m., he was again seen on the beach. He had his pants pulled up to his knees and was wearing a black jacket. At 10.30, he was seen with a plastic purple bag and still wearing his glasses. At 11 p.m., the same thing. The final sighting, as noted, was 11.50 p.m. He was carrying a plastic bag and walking to the edge of the incoming ocean. The one high tide of the day was to be at 12.06 a.m. and would be three meters above the usual high water mark. One has to wonder if Peter was aware of the coming high tide. In the early hours of June 16th, a sea fog was just beginning to lift when Arthur Kinsella and his son Brian arrived in the parking lot at Ross's Point. Brian was training for a triathlon and was running ahead of his father towards the water for a swim. The tide was out, and to his right, Arthur noticed something strange. Because he would run every morning, he was very familiar with the landscape at Ross's Point, so he noticed immediately when something was out of place. He approached the object that was just beyond the slipway, not far from the rocks, and he realized that what he was looking at was the body of a person who appeared to have drowned, and the body was lying face down in the sand. Arthur called to his son and took in the scene in front of him, realizing that with the tide out, there were no footprints near the body, so he figured that the body must have washed up. The Kinsellas made the obvious call for authorities, and the call was taken by Sergeant Terry McMahon, who had been on duty since 6 a.m., and the call came 45 minutes into his shift. When the police arrived, they surveyed the situation and spoke to the Kinsellas. Terry said that the body was oddly dressed for a swimmer, as he had a pair of purple-striped Speedo-type swimming trunks, with his underwear worn over top and a navy t-shirt tucked into the swimming trunks. At 8 a.m., the man on the beach was declared dead by Dr. Valerie McGowan, and his body was taken to Sligo University Hospital for autopsy the next day. Terry McMahon and his colleagues stayed on the beach searching for clothing, footwear, and any other clues that they could find. They discovered a pile of clothing that had been left on a rock on the beach. The clothing matched what eyewitnesses would later report as having seen the deceased man wearing the day before. The clothing was all neatly folded together and placed nicely in a pile. Interestingly, every article of clothing that was ever recovered and owned by Peter Bergman had had its labels cut out. Found on Peter Bergman's body, a navy t-shirt, 
a pair of navy underpants, a pair of Speedo-like swimming trunks with pink and purple stripes, and a waterproof quartz watch that he was wearing on his left wrist. Found on the rocks on the beach, black leather fin shoes, size 44, made in Germany, dark socks, a black leather jacket, navy chino trousers, a black sleeveless Tommy Hilfiger jumper, and a black leather belt. Discovered in his pockets were $140 in banknotes, $9 in coins in an envelope, a package of tissues, 55 milligrams of aspirin, hand sticking plasters, and a bar of hotel soap. Oddly, the soap was a brand that could not be found distributed in hotels that were in Ireland. Items that were never found, his glasses, the stamps he had bought in the post office, the long sleeve blue shirt he was wearing when he left the Sligo Hotel, the black shoulder bag, and the purple plastic bag. There was also no ID ever recovered. So, as you can see already, there are so many mysteries circling around the man that checked into the Sligo City Hotel. To add to that, there is no street named in Stetterson in Wiem. Also, the postal code system in Austria has never included 4472, which was the code that he gave when he checked into the hotel. So who was this man? Where did he come from? Why was he in Sligo? How did he die? Dr. Clive Kilgallen conducted the autopsy on Wednesday, June 17, 2009. However, the results were not made available to the public and until an inquiry was made on April 14, 2010. Included were three very unexpected pieces of information. First, even though the man's body was found washed up on Ross's Point Beach, the pathologist found no sign of classic saltwater drowning. All of the evidence and eyewitness reports pointed to a man who waited until darkness and high tide to go swimming, perhaps with the full intention to never return to shore. Many even hypothesized that he hoped to be taken out with the tide, but he did not die from drowning. Second, it was discovered that the man had terminal prostate cancer, and the pathologist believed that there was no way that the man would not have known of the diagnosis. It had spread to his bones, chest, and lungs. The prognosis was that this man had weeks to live at best. Lastly, the official cause of death was ruled as acute cardiac arrest. In other words, he died from a heart attack. There was also a full toxicology screen also completed, and nothing outside of the norm was discovered. Now, 12 years later, Nobody has ever come forward in regards to the man known only as Peter Bergman, and he has been buried in an unmarked grave in Ireland. So what happened to Peter Bergman? Or perhaps that isn't the real question at all. Perhaps we need to break down further that question into more questions. Who actually was the man who called himself Peter Bergman? Where was he from? What was in the purple bags? Why did he select Sligo as his final visit and resting place? What events caused for a heart attack rather than a drowning? Here is what we know. 
It was stated that the man had a clear Austrian or Germanic accent. He had short gray hair, cut very close to the scalp. He had an olive complexion. He was of slender build. He had an extens he had, had extensive dental work done, including a gold tooth at the back of his mouth, which was very noticeable to anyone who came in contact with him. We have attached CCTV images and artist renderings on the show image for this episode as well. There are many different theories around the case of Peter Bergman. Many do believe that perhaps he had been a spy, an intelligence agent, or even a criminal that was on the run. Of course, there is no conclusive evidence, though, towards any of those. In 2013, a documentary entitled The Last Days of Peter Bergman was made to try to create more buzz around the case and perhaps find some of the answers to some of the questions. So far, though, nobody has cracked the case of Peter Bergman, and no one has come forward looking for Peter Bergman or anyone else who fits his description. There are dozens of boxes still held at the Sligo Garda station that detail the thousands of hours that have been spent on this case trying to discover who Peter Bergman really was. At different points in time, there were up to 10 people working on the case, and there are clear images of the man's face, alive and dead, available, but still no movement on discovering who he was. The case will remain open until the day comes, if it ever does, when the identity of Peter Bergman is officially uncovered. Unlike most cases out there where we have a family and friends searching for a missing loved one, or we are looking to solve a murder that is unsolved, here we have the complete opposite. We have a man who seemingly, knowingly, set a series of events in motion that led to his death, and we have seemingly no family or friends looking for him. We have a man who clearly seemed to come from, or at least with, money. He had extensive dental work done, and most likely he had a team of doctors that were well aware of his illness. How has nobody come forward? Perhaps the stamps were used to send letters of closure to those that he was close with. Perhaps there was nobody that he was imminently close with, and doctors simply are unaware of the case. So many perhaps statements in this case, and so few answers. I think we will leave the case there. Yeah, it's something. <laughs> Definitely. Do you have any thoughts? I don't know. I think it's just interesting because it really makes you realize that there's a lot of people that die and, you know, not even being a, a murder or a missing persons case, and we still can't figure out what happened to them. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, this is definitely a weird one. It was, I wanted to do something from Ireland because we've noticed that we actually have a lot of listeners from Ireland. And um, when I was analyzing cases, this one really jumped out at me because it's just so uh, crazy, I guess. Um, any hypothesis? Anything that you think that jumps out at you that you think was happening here? I think I want to believe that he knew he was going to die. So he went there to have a nice, peaceful last couple moments or whatever. But part of me, there's just no way you can time that. But I just don't see it as being a, a murder case or a suicide or anything like that. I think he just knew his time was coming and he wanted it to be a nice way out. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll start off there where you are. I have quite a few thoughts. But, um, I mean, if you go down that road and you think that it was just a man kind of planning his finish, it's definitely, it jumps out that he probably knew when high tide was going to be. He hung out at the beach for eight hours before high tide was coming. He was seen there all day. It was like, I honestly believe that if he knew that he was going to die soon, and obviously this man would have been in a lot of pain. Um, you know, maybe that was his final wish was to just go out with the tide and never return and never be found and just be gone like that. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Maybe he did go as originally planning to drown himself and maybe he ended up having a heart attack. That's that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. Something that's a little bit off base, I guess, for me... Um, Something that just kept jumping out at me here is, uh, I don't know, like, what brought him to Sligo? There had to have been some kind of connection to Sligo. Um, he picked this spot in Ireland to go. So I kind of started thinking, like, what would he be getting rid of? Why Sligo? So kind of my story that I've settled on, obviously, I don't have any anything to back it up. But I kind of want to romanticize the story a little bit. Um, I picture a man whose wife maybe passed away not too long ago, and uh, maybe she was from Sligo, or she was from Ireland, and uh, she had been to Sligo, which would explain why he knew a little bit about Sligo, but not a lot. And, you know, maybe what he was putting in those bags were letters from his wife, or effects of his wife, or even ashes from his wife, and he was, maybe that was her dying wish, was to spread her throughout Sligo, and maybe he put it off and put it off and put it off. And, you know, obviously he was very sick. You know, the, the pathologist said that he only had weeks to live. So maybe he knew, like, it's now or never. Like, I'm not going to be able to fulfill my wife's final wishes soon. And that's what he was disposing of. And that's why he went there. And, you know, he that last piece of paper jumps out at me. He pulls it out of his pocket. He reads it. He puts it away. He pulls it out of his pocket. He reads it. He puts it away. And then he rips it up and put, disposes of it. It's almost like he had a list of things to do before the end. And he was satisfied that he'd completed everything on his list. So he threw it out and he was done. So I guess there's my romantic screenplay on, on the issue. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an interesting take. I mean, there's not a lot of information on this person's background. So really we could come up with so many theories of what's going sure. on. You yep. know, I do like the uh, theory about maybe he was a spy or working mm. as an agent because we do know that most of the time those people, uh, they don't have that identity or things, you know, kind of like lingering around like me or you would. But mm. also a lot of times people that are dedicated in those fields don't have families. You know, they go that way because they're solo or because they are, you know, that raven, as, as you want to say. So that's a really interesting take that you said, for sure. I would not have thought about that. Yeah, and I mean, I wanted to add to that spy thing, too. I think that it's definitely one that makes sense. Uh, that one brings in kind of the stamps, you know, the stamps and the airmail stuff. Yeah. You know, it's almost like if he was a married man... And his family knew that he just kind of went off to do police work or they wouldn't probably know he was a spy. Maybe that was one of his final things was he sent those letters out to his family saying, 
okay, here's the deal. This is what I was doing. I was a spy. This is what I did. Don't come claim my body. This is my closure. I'm going to die. Unfortunately, I can't see you again, but my dying wish is to just leave me because maybe he was a spy in a sense that if people found out who he was and traced back his family, maybe the family would get into trouble. Like, yeah. There's so many different movies you could write yeah. just about what this man was going through. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to share with us what you think uh, about this whole case, it's very interesting. I'm sure you know you have your own theories about it, and we would love to hear about your theories on this one. Yeah, for sure. So we'll wrap up there, and in closing, um, I do want to say, remember that if you want to help us out, if you like the podcast, you can take the time to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can give us a follow on Spotify or check us out even on Patreon where you can help us out by supporting the podcast at different membership levels. Uh, you can also reach out to us um, for anything, questions, concerns, shows that you think would be a good uh, story to tell. Um, and as Julie said, even with this case, let us know what you think. Who was Peter Bergman? What was his story? Drop us a line and let us know what you think. There's lots of ways you can do that. You can reach out to us by email at gbnfpod at gmail.com. On Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gbnfpodcast. On Twitter at gbnfpodcast or on Instagram at gbnfpod. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time on Gone But, but Never, never forgotten. forgotten.